Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey y'all, this is Josiah Gray and this is Half Street High Heat. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 162 of Half Street High Heat, presented by Manscaped and part of the Fan Sided Network. I am Nick. You can follow me on Twitter at Nationals Ace. I'm joined, as always, by Ryan. You can follow him on Twitter at We Are All Shack. Amanda was feeling a little bit under the weather tonight, so we uh, tapped in two, not one, but two, because that's how many people it takes to replace Amanda, or at least that's what they tell me. Two people tonight. One being Tyler, one being CK. You've heard him on the show before. They are back. We're going to talk some playoff baseball and a couple other storylines that uh, have come out the past couple of days. Uh, good conversation, but guys, how we doing? Ryan, nice filter. Not that you need it. You look perfect the way you are. But Thanks, man. Um, I am the show. So like, <laughs> my filter is a theater because I am the show. <laughs> Tyler, how you doing? Life's good, man. Just chilling as always. Just had some Chipotle. I figured you were gonna do another like you know cheesy one liner. I literally I keep, keep waiting for getting to bring it to the table because like you know I like to think of myself as the official fourth outfielder of the podcast. <laughs> and you know why I need to stay ready. I'm, I'm you're just literally not, the I'm Andrew slacking. Stevenson. I suppose, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. But. <laughs> yeah I mean Andrew Stevenson. So if you're Andrew Stevenson, that makes CK. Uh, Victor Robles. Victor Robles. As yeah. long as you don't say para, I'm okay with it. <laughs> para la para. <laughs> uh, 
Yadiel um, Hernandez. Who's the guy yeah. that they didn't call? Oh, Polka. Polka. Dino Polka. But I'd that, that be, wouldn't work because you got you got called up or you have been called up a couple times. I'd so. rather be called Yadiel Hernandez than Gerardo Parra. So. so you don't have a spot unless there's a DH. That's okay. <laughs> there will be universal DH next year. <laughs> this is true. So you, you will have a spot going forward. But like I said, from the top, obviously uh, lots of postseason baseball to talk about, and including a game five tonight. Uh, we're recording just before the game starts, so we will not know the result of it by the time we finish this recording, but we can at least give our predictions. Uh, we'll do that here in a bit. Uh, but off the top, I wanted to talk about Kevin Long because that's something we obviously addressed last episode with him going to Philly. You know, it was kind of just – clean cut didn't really care too much about it but then obviously he came out with his presser which was just kind of like a, a weird situation for those that might have missed it or didn't see he basically just threw victor robles under the bus um so he threw ck under the bus uh <clears throat> i wanted to get your guys thoughts on obviously the comments and uh just the I guess the way he handled it in general, like, do you think he was trying to be malicious now that he's not on Nats anymore? Or was it really that big of a deal? Ryan, what'd you think? It's just, I thought it was pretty interesting. Cause if I got a job as like a hitting coach, I would only talk about my successes and make me sound right. like the greatest hitting coach in the world. I'd be like, yeah, Juan Soto was a nobody until he started working with me. Like only talk about the good things. Mention Rendon, Trey Turner. Um, he did mention Josh Bell as a surprising success again through surprising in there, like give yourself some credit. I don't think it was malicious more than just fact. Um, I think he was kind of just talking about the approach he uses and how it doesn't really work with everyone and how Victor Robles is kind of the prime example of that. Cause his whole launch angle power approach clearly is not meshing with Robles at all. I don't really think there's any, you know, like bad intent to it or anything it was just pretty funny like victor robles is just chilling at home somewhere and then kevin long takes a shot at him it's like hey you suck at baseball by the way like my man came and like catch a break <laughs> you're just catching straight i guess that was kind of like a direct shot but like there was just no need dudes already in triple a season's over and he's still like just insult to injury from former coaches uh ck what did you think of the comments well, considering I am Victor Robles, for my yeah. bias take, I'll say I'm very offended. But <laughs> as someone who has liked as loved Robles ever since he first appeared on the roster in 2017 postseason, a part of me dies every time he strikes out because I want him to do well so badly. So, so you've so died a lot. Yes, yes, I have <laughs> multiple times over, come back and then again. But uh, long shots, I don't really know how to feel about it. He sort of just went up there, and then he's like, "Hey, Philly." Fuck the Nets. <laughs> and he's, and it just feels, it's like contributing to the rivalry a bit. And the way he just dug at Robles. Family like, show here, CK, just, just dropping F bombs. Like, sorry, it happens. I'm sorry. But just the way he just came up there and did that, it's like, bro, why? Like, what did he do to deserve that? I don't think, I agree with Ryan, it wasn't malicious, but sometimes ignorance is worse than fouls. And in that case, I think it was if he didn't mean it. Yeah, because it was almost like he, definitely believed it to an extent where it's like all right this guy's hopeless and whether it was like purely intentional to uh be offensive or be a shot at robles or not like those were his truthful opinions on victor robles tyler were you kind of in agreement with that 
Yeah, I agree with both you guys. I really just think, you know, he was trying to use like name examples of like, you know, certain guys that his approach worked with and certain guys that his approach didn't work with just to kind of see if he could get a feel of, you know, guys on the Phillies that his approach could maybe mesh with or not mesh with. But I mean, you know, I think that with the Robles specifically, like I'm not going to like attribute I'm not going to attribute that to like Kevin Long completely because Robles tried to go from like a leadoff hitter to a power hitter when he bulked up and then back to a leadoff hitter. So I almost feel like he was trying to change like who he wanted to be as a hitter as well. I don't know if that was Kevin Long telling him to do that and then just kind of giving up on the whole idea. But yeah, I mean, I agree. I think, you know, it's kind of like a weird way to like put that point across, but I see like, you know, what he was basically trying to do. It just, because Kevin Long was the hitting coach in 2019, correct? Yes. I believe so. Yeah, yeah he, he was. was. Uh-huh. So, like, what was the change? Because Victor Robles, he wasn't, like, you know, earth-shattering offensively or anything yeah. like that. But he was at least, like, serviceable. And we've talked about it a ton. But if he did that offensively, uh, you know, if he did that and then maintained gold glove, gold glove level defense – he has a legitimate starting spot on every team. Right. But, yeah. He was a four war player in 2019. Right. Which is super solid. Like maybe he doesn't Whoa. become like Juan Soto, but he would still be super solid. But just the fact that his offensive game not only didn't progress, but took a huge step back and then they just couldn't get it right. Like what, what happened is kind of what we're all left with. And the fact that Kevin Long is just like, bro, I don't know. Like, why didn't that work? It just, it, it's almost like, I, I don't care about the comments one way or another, but it also makes me worried about Victor Robles. Like what, is he just ever going to be able to figure it out? I mean, cause triple A is much different than the MLB obviously. So him doing well in triple A while encouraging doesn't mean much to me. Yeah. I definitely feel like there's a mental part of it involved. Um, right. You know, cause like you said, he was decent offensively in um, 2019 you know, he hit 17 home runs, and then all of a sudden his power is just completely gone. Vanished. Yeah, and it just really makes no sense. I, I It's got to be an approach thing, but I think it's also just got to be a mental thing with them because, like, we know the talent's there. It's just, like, I know it's hard to translate, you know, AAA numbers to the majors because that's, like, the biggest jump. But, you know, we know that he's got 2019 in him because – he did that as a rookie in his first full season. And, you know, we know that he's capable of that. So it really doesn't make a lot of sense, you know, what happened. I definitely feel like it's a mental part of it. Yeah. And the, like, it's not to say one hitting coach works for every single player either. So just because Kevin Long couldn't make it work with Victor Robles at the end, like doesn't mean Victor Robles will never turn it around. But first of all, I don't even think he's a good leadoff hitter mainly because even though he's fast, he's not a good base runner. He's proven that time and time again, and that has nothing to do with Kevin Long or anything like that. But if he's constantly like running into outs on the base pass, it doesn't really matter if he's a leadoff guy or not. So I would just focus on keeping him, I guess, lower in the lineup, which is what they did for the majority of the season past, like the first couple of weeks and try to, find him a consistent rhythm like Tyler you pointed out he kind of like jumped around and there's a bunch of expectations on him but you know if if he's just going to be that way on the base pass it's just not worth it to me but definitely interesting and I'm sure Nats fans will be 
sensitive and and whatnot about oh, Kevlong and yeah. <laughs> Every time Robles overshoots a base, another part of me dies. Yeah, so you're just dying left and right. I mean, well, every day. The, every there's day. not there's not much life in you is basically what we're we're finding. And it's I'm actually fine because Lane Thomas brought me back to life. So. Okay, there we go. There we go. But that, that was pretty much the the biggest news out of Nats camp. Nothing else is really going on right now. It's going to be that way till the postseason ends. But let's talk about the postseason because we finally get a game five tonight. Uh, we almost, and not a good almost, but we almost got through the first round without an without a game five. That would have been really disappointing. But here we are as I'm sure we probably should have expected with Giants Dodgers going to game five. It was nine, eight in the season series. The run total in that, you know, 17 games was 77 to 76. So these teams were back and forth all season long. So here we are game five, uh, Corey Knables on the mound for the Dodgers. That was kind of the big storyline of the day. Uh, who's on the mound for the Giants? Is it Webb? Webb. That's what it is. It's Webb. Webb. And obviously he he had a great game one performance and has been lights out recently. So it'll be interesting to see what the Dodgers plan is. I assume they go to Urias after Knable, but how long does Knable go? It'll be interesting to see, you know, the two strategies, how quick of a hook does Webb uh, have if he does get into trouble. Definitely interesting to see the two strategies play out should uh, either team run into trouble. Uh, Ryan, I'm going to kick it back to you because I know uh, – you refuse to acknowledge the giant success. If they win tonight, what does that mean for your brand? So here's the thing. I reject your reality and I institute my own reality. <laughs> like if the, the, if the, the G words win, which they won't, I will not accept that reality. I will push my own narrative that they lost. Right. I think the past, you know, this entire year has shown us you cannot accept defeat and just say whatever you want. Right. So I'm going to do that and I will <laughs> not accept the fact that if the Giants win, but the Dodgers going with a bullpen game is pretty bold, especially for a winner take all. This is the fifth um, elimination game winner take all between two 100 win teams in MLB history, but it's also pretty smart. It forced the Giants to stack their lefties. So when your eyes comes in, the Giants are probably going to have to take all three lefties out of the lineup. So it gets them user bench pieces early. It's the game before the game. Um, Dave Roberts said this is something that was agreed upon within the entire organization to do. I would have just started Urias and start my 20 game winner out there. Um, I don't know. It just seems like they might be getting a little too cute, but if it works, then they're genius, you know, and that's another just chess piece they made before the game, but it's going to be really interesting to see how, Kapler responds that to when Urias goes in, if he wants to empty his bench within the third or fourth inning. Yeah. And that's a, you know, just a quick tangent here. Do you guys put any stock or how much do you believe in the opener strategy? Because we see, obviously the Rays kind of pioneered it. We see other teams doing it now, especially in these, you know, wildcard games or uh, pivotal playoff games. Like you typically see more openers or bullpen games than, we used to usually it was like just let your ace ride into the ground as far as he goes because best pitcher on the mound you know put the ball in his hands type mentality how much stock do you guys put into this opener strategy if any the opener is interesting <clears throat> excuse me but like i think it really depends on you know who you're actually bringing into the game like after the opener like 
I could see how that strategy would work. You know, if you have a starting pitcher that uh, tends to struggle in the first inning when they're first getting settled in. So if you had the opener start off and then the starter would be coming in, let's say you're at seven, eight, nine in the order, they go two innings, they retire all six in a row. And then you'd have that starter facing the bottom of the lineup first. And then that could potentially, you know, get them settled in a little bit easier. Um, I think, you know, there is some merit to it. I don't think, you know, it's necessarily like required to use an opener, but um, I, th I think, you know, the numbers have defended the opener a couple times. It's, it's an interesting strategy because your starter has to be okay with coming out of the bullpen because that first inning out of the bullpen is a very different mindset than it is when you're starting the game. And John Smoltz was talking about during game four of the Red Sox Rays game when the Rays did an opener and then went to the starter and the starter in the first inning got absolutely roughed up in the third. It's a completely different mindset. So the opener basically depends on if your starter can get through that first thing out of the bullpen, because if they do, then they're fine. Cause after that, it's basically like they're starting a game, but that first inning when they're coming out of the bullpen is really different for pitchers mentally. And that's basically going to decide game five today is how does Urias respond to that first thing out of the bullpen? Yeah, CK, what I do you definitely... think? I'm I'm somewhat of a fan of the opener strategy, somewhat not. In the regular season, it seems kind of odd. I like it more in the postseason when you have limited roster space. It's one or take all, and you can use starting pitchers out of your bullpen because it's whatever it takes to win. So I definitely like it more in the postseason because I feel like it's a more effective. And I do agree that it's really hard like bring your starting pitcher out of the bullpen, and they have to be okay with it. But when it works, it seems to work pretty well for the most part. It really surprised me the Dodgers are going with that. I looked at the thing today, and it's a – Enable, and I'm like, no, no, that's not right. That no, nope, it was right. So we're gonna have to see how that works out because I definitely would have started your rise just because you know it's Julio, Julio Reese, but what do I know? It might work out in their favor. Yeah, definitely interesting. And just you know, hearing everyone talk about it, and not that the Nats were ever really playing for anything this year, but it sounded like that's a strategy you could use with Patrick Corbin because it seemed like that first inning was always a roller coaster for him. And he had success in the 2019 playoffs coming out of the bullpen. And it is absolutely 100% a different mindset. So maybe Corbin just tries or, like, prefers to just go out there like a normal starter, try to get his routine back. But with how bad we saw him perform in in this past year, trying an opener with him would not be the worst thing in the world, but that's, you know, down the road, maybe he comes back in 2022 and kind of reverts back to his 2019 self, or at least closer to 2019 than we saw in 2021. But we'll, we'll talk about that as the time comes, but back to game five, two different strategies. You have an ACE versus I guess a bullpen game. I mean, your rise is a starter, but you know, we'll call it a bullpen game for uh, just the, the sake of, uh, defining it one way or another, but uh, what what do you think happens tonight? Obviously, it's in San Francisco, so Giants have home field advantage, but Dodgers are 2-0 in elimination games already this postseason, so they kind of have that, you know, uh, they, they've been there, done that as far as the, the pressure of the must-win. This is the Giants' first real must-win, so can they handle it? What do you guys think happens? I think... The Dodgers win four three. Um, I think. Well, the Dodgers are winning either way, no matter what happens. Well, exactly. Like it, right. it doesn't matter what the score is. The Giants <laughs> are frauds. Like we cannot have 
the championship series between the four biggest cheaters in baseball. Like I respect the hell out of that, but that's not my narrative this year. So it can't happen. Um, I have giants winning four three. I think the game will start off with not much happening. And then in the later innings, start getting a little bit more drama, kind of like we've seen throughout the series. So yeah, I have the giants winning four three and I'll say Cody Bellinger does something shocking and has the big hit in the eighth inning. Wow. I mean, that's, I mean, he's a former MVP, but it's also still somehow a bold take because. Yeah, because he had like a 30. Does uh, someone want to, someone want to correct Ryan on what he just said? What? He just said he has the Giants winning 4-3 twice in 20 seconds. Well, and it doesn't matter because in his mind, the Dodgers are winning no matter what. So we knew what he meant. Yeah, we knew what he meant. Okay, I'm making sure. Hey, CK, never correct me again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Tyler, what do you think? Um, I do have the <laughs> I do have the Dodgers winning as well. Um, you know, uh, I believe Webb shut down the Dodgers in Game One, but I think they're going to come out swinging tonight. I think they're going to pick something up on him, um, and I, I just think the Dodgers' offense is just too powerful, especially to go dormant in an elimination game. So. I definitely think that they're going to come out on top tonight. And I'm going to say the final score is going to be six to four. CK. So first up, all I'm going to say is what if, what if the, what if the, uh, what if the Dodgers, uh, no, excuse me, what if the Dodgers do what uh, Craig Houses did a couple years ago, say they're starting to enable, then pull them after one pitch like they do with Brandon Woodruff? Mm, what do we think about that? Well, Council's never had a pitching plan in his entire life, and like <laughs> the last game of the Braves series literally proved that again. Anyway, uh, I I am pushing narratives too, so I'm gonna go with the Dodgers winning. Uh, I'm gonna say also four to three, but that's because uh, Chris Taylor is gonna hit another walk off home run because my agendas need to be pushed, and because Ryan Zimmerman, our resident Virginia Beach and UVA alum, has retired, it is time for me to push to. Our- Next UVA alum and Virginia Beach resident, which is Chris Taylor. And as such, we need him to hit another home run in order to further my Virginia Beach and 757 is best agenda. So as long as he hits a home run that wins the game, I don't care what the score is. So I prefer the Dodgers win them. Is anyone going to correct CK on what he just said? <laughs> um, hey, CK, you just said that the Dodgers, Chris Taylor, is going to hit a walk-off home run. They're playing on the road, and they literally cannot hit a walk-off home run. God damn it. You know, go ahead, home run. Go ahead, home run. Let me fix myself there. I was thinking of the wild card game. I go ahead, home run. There we go. Good enough, right? Uh, ratio. <laughs> counter plus I have I'm in a food coma. Yeah, Double we heard, counter we plus heard ratio. you just yeah, we heard. Burp. counter plus your mother. Plus <laughs> your mother. Oh God. This is what happens when Amanda's not here to, to mother us to death. Uh I'm going with the Dodgers as well. That's freaky. Yeah. Uh, that was weird. Um I'm going with the Dodgers as well. They were my World Series pick. And while it's not, you know, the most interesting pick ever, I mean, it's the only thing I can still get right with my postseason prediction. So I'm sticking with it and I'll go Dodgers to win tonight. Um, But shifting to the team the Dodgers just eliminated, the Cardinals, surprising news today as they uh, parted ways with their manager, Mike Schilt. He had one year remaining on his contract. They had, uh, what did it end up being, like an 18-game win streak during the season to really propel them. Mm-hmm. So it, it definitely was surprising to everyone, including Mike Schilt by all reports. 
uh, Mark Feinstein was all over this. Uh, I was reading earlier, but Mike Schilt was really surprised that they decided to move on from him. And based on what management said, it had nothing to do with this season and this performance because uh, they viewed this season as a success, but it was more uh, due to philosophical differences and where they saw the team going, which was interesting because this is a playoff team. You know, they nearly beat the Dodgers. They, they were right there. And uh, was it truly just like a, a philosophical difference? Like was Mike Schilt not just on the same page as what the front office wanted to do in terms of like game planning? Because we know uh, a lot of these teams have scripts and, and whatnot. So uh, maybe, maybe not. Uh, or was it they identified someone else that they really wanted and maybe Mike Schilt was just kind of too much of a hard head. And I, I don't know, like there's a lot of speculation. That's what we're going to get into with this, but it definitely was surprising after making the playoffs. Like I, I view the wild card as making the playoffs. At least you have a chance to advance. So you can't say that about, you know, like the blue Jays who just missed out. So I view it as making the playoffs. So, to do to do what Mike Schilt and the Cardinals did this season and then move on from it is really surprising to me. But what do you guys think about this move? And what do you think, if you had to guess or maybe just like uh, conjecture, what do you think was the reason for this move? Ryan, it was start. it was like the press conference was just weird. So like you talked about the philosophical differences, but then they started talking about how where we felt the team was going, we we're struggling to get on the same page. That kind of just seems like old man yelling at cloud doesn't want to embrace the analytical movement that's going to come to the Cardinals here pretty soon. Um, but then they said it had nothing to do with 2021. He refused to comment if there's any internal candidates. Um, he said this was something that just popped up, but then he said this decision didn't come quickly, even though it just popped up. Um, and they had to ask for permission from MLB to announce it today, which is really weird. They were just really contradictory throughout themselves. So I literally just like couldn't tell if there was some type of controversy that's coming with him or if they know who they want to go after to be their next coach and bring in like a new wave and embrace like a younger, newer school coach and have a big analytical movement like we've seen some teams do. I feel like that's what's more going on here. Schilt didn't really want to embrace that, even though that's where the front office is going. So like they didn't want him to be a lame duck in his final year because they weren't going to extend them. So they just ended his contract one year early and decide to go get their guy now, which is basically what it seems because the Cardinals were like, yeah, we're going to take a couple days on before we hire someone. It's like the Cardinals know who they're hiring and it's been determined by the front office. It seems like. Yeah. that It seemed like it, this was kind of a, this isn't a spur of the moment decision. Obviously firing your manager after making the playoffs is cannot be just a, a spur of the moment. You have to have uh, everyone on the same page with it sounds like the front office was, and you have to have, you know, thought about it and molded over for time before you make this decision. Uh, so yeah, obviously going into a contract year as a manager front office is well aware of that and doesn't want their uh, managers being a lame duck or anything like that. Cause obviously that affects game plan and, day to day and whatnot so you don't want that so they definitely thought is this really our guy and the answer was no so I, I agree with you Ryan like they kind of hurried to do this move so that way they can just get it over with and you know not take away from game five too much or whatnot but it, it definitely was interesting CK what did you think of this move 
Uh, I was in Spanish class when I got the notification, so I didn't really have enough time to process it then. But my initial thought where the move was that the Cardinals either had an issue with his uh, coaching style or that they came to some internal disagreement because after the season the Cardinals just had, I didn't really see another reason to like do that. So I do agree that there's like some sort of like a philosophical difference. Maybe it's because shit was a little too old school for their liking, which is really ironic because their best pitcher is like four years old now. But uh, I think they definitely were going in a different direction what they wanted. And maybe the team felt like they were being complacent with him and that they could have achieved greater heights with a newer, newer school manager. So maybe they felt like this, like the, well, the wild card game was a floor rather than a ceiling. And they just decided it would have been better to go with someone else. Just my thoughts were that they had a better candidate in mind. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we'll see who it is because they mentioned they have several internal candidates that they like. And I wonder if it was, if like, if I had to guess, I do believe the philosophical differences was like mostly right, but more so Mike Schilt wanted to do his own thing, kind of have creative control over game planning and bullpen and lineups and all that stuff. The front offices wanted another way. And maybe the front office feels like someone else, maybe a bench coach would, you know, still fall in line with their plan and not have so much resistance. Not that the bench coach like conspired against Mike Child or anything like that, but from the front office perspective, maybe they identified someone who is going to follow their plan better than Mike Schilt did. But it seemed like for the most part, Mike Schilt did a pretty good job, but we'll see. Tyler, what did you think? Um, you know, I agree with everything you guys are saying. I just think the overall situation was just pretty weird because typically you hear when managers are on the hot seat, like, you know, you kind of you kind of hear some rumblings like we heard it with Jace Tingler. Um, and, but, you know, Schilt being fired just kind of came out of nowhere. Like, you know, we got the Passan bomb earlier today. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I mean, everyone's, you know, you guys are mentioning like the season the Cardinals have. But, like, the Cardinals were a 500 team for, like, 80% of the season. And then they went on that ridiculous, like, 17-game winning streak or whatever it was. So, I mean, like, for the majority, like, they were pretty mediocre throughout the year. And then they just got, you know, as hot as you can get right at the end and and secured the second wild card. So, I think you guys make good points. You know, I think philosophical, like, decisions is kind of just, like, a fancy way of just saying, you know, we're moving on from him and we have something else in mind. I don't necessarily know if it's like something specific. Um, I think the Cardinals just decided that they wanted to go in another direction. That's important to like that you mentioned that because the Cardinals have very, very high standards for what they will do every single season. Right. Um, like they went out and they acquired Arenado. And then, like you said, they're 500 for most of the year. So I feel like the front office wasn't very happy with how much they had to perform for a lot of the season, considering the moves they made. They brought in Goldschmidt. They brought in Arenado. They've done a lot of good stuff. I thought maybe brought in way, John Lester. Brought in John Lester, like <laughs> traded away Lane Thomas. That made the organization better. Um, so I just thought like maybe it was the Reyes decision, but I feel like maybe the underachieving for 80% of the season also kind of had to do it. If this was the Nats, right? It, the Nats were basically about the same as the Cardinals for the majority of the season. And then kind of July went obviously two polar opposites. But if this was the Nats, they finished 90 72, lost in the wild card game. I guess it's a little bit different because Davies won a World Series. But is anyone calling for Davies' head? Absolutely not. Absolutely no one not. will ever call for his head ever again. They're well, calling to extend him even further. Yeah. He turned them around again. 
I just stuck with them for two more years. That's true. I just don't, I don't get it. I mean, I, I, I get if he wasn't their guy, he wasn't their guy, but it, it's hard to succeed in baseball. And the fact that the Cardinals did what they did with honestly a subpar roster, like they, they have Arenado and Goldschmidt, but neither of them are quite to the level that they were on the Rockies and Diamondbacks. Um, and like they weren't MV, perennial MVP candidates and weren't MVP candidates this year. Like they're, they're solid, but they're not, you know, certainly not one of the best rosters. And like, I think CK said it, the ace is 40 years old. Like he had a phenomenal season. Don't get me wrong, but that, I mean, Goldschmidt had a six war just saying, Oh, that is solid. Yeah. He well, had a really good season. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well then I'm just talking out of my ass, but. <laughs> not Aaron, not a sonar performed of identity. Like, yeah, yeah he, def- like he did for his standards. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like he still had like 30 plus home runs and hundred plus RBIs, but for his standards, it wasn't what he normally does. Yeah. His OPS was like hovering around 800 for like the whole year, like mm-hmm. sub 800. Yeah. I wish I was a baseball player. His 800 OPS was in the lower end of his lower end of his range. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's just a way of me saying like, I just, I don't understand it, but. It is what it is. They'll be looking for a new manager. Uh, I don't think we ever really got into it too much, so we'll bring it up now. The Mets dismissed Luis Rojas, and they talked. Last I heard, uh, this was you know when the news came out a couple weeks ago. They said they they still kind of want to keep him within the organization in some capacity. He used to be their AAA manager, so maybe he sticks around. Maybe he just decides to to move on. Also, the Padres moved on from Jace Tingler officially. We kind of saw the writing on the wall there with how that season ended. Um, those are the, with now the Cardinals, those are the three vacancies currently in the uh, MLB. Uh, I mean, both, or I guess all three are, well, the Cardinals are a playoff team. Mets and Padres have playoff aspirations. What's the most appealing job of the three in your guys' mind? Definitely the Padres. Um, The Mets will always be a disaster. Like, you know how, People say it doesn't matter who the Washington football team brings in. They're going to be disaster as long as Snyder's there. That's basically what it is with the Mets. But, like, the Mets are just a disaster. The Padres, there was a lot of reports that that roster was not meshing at all with Tingler. Um, They didn't like his approach. They didn't like his style. They thought he had no idea what he was doing. They have a good farm system, a good young roster. They probably need another veteran pitcher like one consistent power hitter behind Tatis, but like that is a good roster that just didn't really work out this year. Maybe the manager had played a pretty big role in that considering how no one liked them. But I think the Padres is by far the most appealing opening job spot right now. I, would yeah, agree. I, I mean, if only for living in San Diego, but yeah, I, I literally. <laughs> yeah. Tyler, what were you going to say? Yeah. I was going to say, I agree with that because the Padres are the most um, ready to win out of those three as well. You know, they just entered their contention window and they better do something with it because AJ Preller just destroyed their entire farm system. So um, I definitely think they're going to need somebody that actually, you know, um, you know, kind of lives by the let the kids play motto. We saw like, remember when Tatis hit the grand slam on three, you know, and his own manager didn't even defend him. So that was a red flag, like right off the rip. But um, yeah, I mean, I definitely think the Padres job would probably be the most appealing because they're the most ready to go win a world series. CK. 
Yeah, I tried to think about if I could play devil's advocate and pick the Cardinals, but there's no arguing that the Padres have the best like the best roster. The Cardinals do have some intriguing pieces like Dylan Carlson, Harrison Bader, Lars Newtbar. I love his name, by the way. It sounds like a candy bar. And I think they I think they're also a good fit, but basically it's like bad, good, great. And San, uh, San Diego definitely takes the cake of great managers because of like the really like the promising prospect where they have. So if you're a young manager or like just anyone in general, you should be like oh, you should be like jumping for joy if they ended that job because it's definitely the best roster. They just need something to keep it like they need something to take them over the top. And signing Jake Arrieta in August is not it. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know why not. Support the Cy Young didn't they get Max Scherzer? <laughs> that too. That probably had played a big role in their season falling apart. Um, yeah. The Mets honestly does have appeal as a job. Like it's a big market team that is appealing to teens because. You know, their owner is an absolute troll on the internet, but he's showing he wants to spend. And usually when you have a big market job, like you get more attention, you're also going to be spending more. So the Mets have a uh, allure for that, but just can't put them above the Padres. So are the Cardinals the least desirable, even though they're the one playoff team out of the three? Um, they are in the Midwest and their pitching sucks. But from a baseball perspective, I mean, that's a historical franchise that it's, you know, a, base, it's a proven it's a winner. You have Arenado, you have Goldschmidt, like CK said, you have a lot of young pieces to play with. Like, I mean, again, this is more just me playing devil's advocate, but it's kind of crazy to think that would be less appealing than the Mets or Padres. Food for thought. I, I would still take the Padres. I mean. <laughs> I, I want no part of the Mets. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I mean, again, living in San Diego as opposed to the Midwest, uh, that, that's a no brainer any other day of the week. But let's move on back to playoff baseball, because that's really what, you know, everyone's focused on right now. Braves punched their ticket, as we kind of expected with the way the Brewers performing offensively. Uh, Josh Hader sucks. But Braves punch her ticket to another NLCS. They will play the winner of tonight's uh, Giants-Dodgers game five. And also the Astros officially punch their ticket to the ALCS. They will take on the Red Sox. So we'll stick there since that's the uh, set matchup we have so far. It's a rematch of the, what, 2018 ALCS. Obviously, the Red Sox came out on top in that in pursuit of their world latest World Series title. Um, how do you guys anticipate this series playing out? Do you have a favorite? Do you think it's going to go seven? Is it going to be, you know, lopsided? How do, how do you expect this uh, championship series in the AL to uh, to play out? I'm I'm honestly really excited for the series because both teams' lineups are absolutely relentless. Like their lineups are deep and they do not give up. Like Hunter Renfro had 30 home runs and 90 RBIs, and he's the Red Sox seven hitter. Like the Astros lineup is great. We all know that, but so is the Red Sox lineup. Neither really has a truly dominant pitching staff. Um, Lance McCullers is going to miss the ALCS. He just got bad news. So we could be seeing some pretty high scoring games every single game, which is going to be really fun. Everyone loves offense. Um, so I'm excited for that. The difference is going to be Dusty Baker. The White Sox Astros series showed how dumb Tony Larusa and Dusty Baker can be. Both of them made egregious coaching mistakes time after time again, but Tony Larusa's was worse, and the Astros lineup is just relentless, so they capitalize on that more. So I think that's going to be the difference, and I 
don't think Dusty Baker can outmanage Alex Cora, honestly. So I kind of think the Red Sox win. And I like, I'll go six games. I think the Red Sox win in six games over the Astros. I mean, Dusty Baker has never, ever been outmanaged in his life. So he's never made a mistake that cost the team a playoff series. Never, never, ever. Not even if there was a fire. What a nice Nats roster. Surely they made it further than the NLDS. <laughs> my look, TV, at all, look at all my the TV pros. <laughs> Surely they advanced, right? <laughs> oh, God. Tyler, what yeah. do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a fun series. You know, like Ryan said, two very good lineups going at it. Um, at least from a personal preference, I will always take a slugfest over pitcher's duel, so that's going to be fun. Um, yeah, I think that probably most of, if not all the games are going to be high scoring, you know, the offenses are just going to be clashing and, you know, obviously the, the dusty Baker decisions involved, you know, that might get a little ugly, but um, I tweeted this a couple days ago, but a Red Sox Astros ALCS just proves that cheating wins and every team in the MLB should be doing it. Every team in the MLB is doing it, but every team should be doing it like them. I mean, the, the Braves have a cheating continent. Yeah. And they're in the, NLCS. The Giants have a cheating lab under Oracle Park. Exactly. They have a freaking yeah. galaxy for cheating. So like, yeah. I'll go part two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was going to say, I actually think the Astros win in seven. I would actually like to see the Astros back in the World Series just for the storylines. They make everyone mad. It makes me like them. Ryan did, Ryan, did you say Red Sox in six or Astros in six? I said Red Sox in six. Okay. So we got one each. CK, what do you think? So I couldn't decide, and I flipped the coin three times, and all three times it landed on that? tails, and, and That's I had tails for the Astros. So um, I guess I don't really have a choice but to go with the Astros in six because that lineup is absolutely ferocious. I don't understand how you're going to be able to pitch to a one through seven like that, especially when you're on Alvarez is at the is at the bottom of your lineup like that. That's how you know as an opposing team you're screwed. So Boston's lineup is really powerful, so I definitely don't think it's going to be easy, and there's a pretty good chance Boston wins. And also because Alex Cora is a significantly better manager than uh, Dusty Baker. What do you mean? Max Scherzer totally didn't come in the bu- in the middle of a playoff game and give up four runs in, in point one innings. But um, I definitely have the Astros just because I think their lineup is just like so powerful that there's no way to get past it. And I also would really enjoy the chaos in baseball to make the World Series again. This is true. so wonderful. We feed off of it here. Yeah. I mean, if the Astros did make it back, I would want it to be the Dodgers because that, that, you know, that needs oh, to happen. Oh, for sure. That their fans were like their fans were fighting each other in a meaningless June game. Like imagine in the World Series how they full would be. stands, that full would hands that would be like to say. <laughs> that'd be beyond hostile. <laughs> um, man, this is tough. They are kind of surprisingly evenly matched, at least on paper. They both have really good lineups. Uh, they have like one good pitcher, and their bullpen can be good, but is inconsistent like it, it's pretty wild how evenly matched these teams are uh have we heard anything on lance mccullers last i heard he was getting mri he's out for the alcs yeah he's is out he? for the series mm-hmm. right, i'm mm-hmm. taking the red sox like that's a massive blow i'm not gonna lie if, if the astros win like am i gonna be surprised no but that's also that's it, a huge blow like they they needed mccullers at it's a seven game series it's not a five game series honestly if it was a five game series they I get swept, but it's a seven game series. You need like someone like McCullers could pitch three times at least. And the fact that you're not going to have him to cover 
what, roughly 20 innings, hopefully. That's a huge deal. So I'm going to take the Red Sox. I'll go Red Sox in six as well, because I do think the Astros lineup makes it a series, despite the, the state of their pitching. Like, they still have Grinky, They still have great, like, role players with um, Javier and uh, who's the other one? Oh, Valdez. Like, they have a bunch of pitchers that can step up. I think they had another starting pitcher that's name's escaping me, but um, you know, Astros can make it a series, but I'm gonna take the Red Sox. Something they're doing, maybe it is cheating, but something they're doing just has them constantly stepping up in these big moments, big series, and making these runs that I don't think anyone truly expects them to do. And I think they're gonna do it again. So I'll, I'll do Red Sox in six. So we will okay, see. Are you referring to the other Luis Garcia as that other pitcher? I thought they had one more. I mean, that might be him. I think that was so. Yeah, there's one Luis Garcia on the Astros, and I think there's another one that's on like, uh, like the, the Cardinals, Nets. maybe. Yeah, well, obviously the Nats, but like, no, there's I a think third there's, one. I don't remember. Yeah, there's another one too. There's a third yeah. one. I'm trying Luis to. Luis Garcia seems like John Smith. Lance McCullers. Oh, I was thinking Jake. O- Wait, is Jake Oder is he still with them? Yeah, so that's how yeah. I was thinking. No, no, no. I was thinking, uh, I don't know how you say his last name. Urquidy. You uh, are. Urquidy. Urquidy. Yeah, yeah, that's, your, that's yeah, exactly. Yeah, Urquidy. Urquidy. That's exactly yeah. who I was thinking of. Because it was Valdez, Javier, and Urquidy, or whatever you want to call him. They were kind of like randomly good out of nowhere. But they do have Odorizzi as well. Granted, he wasn't that great this year, but he is a, a veteran pitcher. So be interesting to say, but I'm going to take Red Sox in four. And before we move on to talk NLCS and potential NLCS matchups, got to talk about Manscaped. Playoffs are back, and batting leadoff for Manscaped is the Lawnmower 4.0 from our friends at Manscaped. This fourth generation trimmer is going to help you dodge hairy balls this October, like the Orioles dodged the wind column this season. Today's sponsor, and always our sponsor, Manscaped are the global leaders in male grooming, trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Swing for the fences and use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. For all your hairiest grooming needs, get 20% off and free shipping with our promo code HSHH20. Again, you will get 20% off and free shipping. And the Performance Package 4.0 is the perfect gift for you and for anyone else who might need it. The Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped is a fastball right down the middle for you to take your grooming game to the next level. Included is the Lawnmower 4.0, the Weed Whacker, which is their ear and nose hair trimmer, all their formulations, and two free gifts being their shed travel bag to carry all that stuff and a free pair of boxers. So literally, absolutely, no reason not to do it. Go to Manscaped, use our promo code HSHH20 for 20% off and free shipping. You will not regret it back to the nlcs obviously there's still you know one important piece of the puzzle left to be solved and that uh is in the form of game five tonight but obviously it's going to be one of two teams and we know the other team that being the braves how do you like the braves chances against either of these teams these were the top two teams not only in the nls but in the league they were one and two giants being one Dodgers being two right behind them, even though they're a wildcard team, they're, they're not your average wildcard team. So how do you like the Braves chances? Or do you think it's just going to be an NL West NL pennant win 
regardless of who the uh, Braves play. Um, first oh. of all, I, oh, my bad. No, you, brother. All right, bro. Um, first of all, I just want to put out there, the Brewers absolutely reek. I cannot believe I gassed up that team. That team <laughs> They're was so garbage. bad. Oh, my God. That offense is, like, among the worst I've seen in the playoffs. But anyway, um, I think the NOS team that makes the NLCS is going to take care of the Braves in no more than six games. I just think both of those teams are by far better than the Braves. I kind of just think – the Braves fell ass backwards into the NLCS with who they had to play. And they did the same in 2020 with the Marlins and the Reds and my narratives and my agendas against the Braves will never change. So I'm going to say either Dodgers or Giants in five in the NLCS against the Braves. Ryan, what were you going to say? Um, I was just going to talk about how bad the Brewers are. Um, <laughs> just because I like, I talked about this last episode. I, I honestly think the the Braves can like make a team sweat and like can line up with the Dodgers, but I don't really see how they can beat them. Um, but do you think the Brewers trade Josh Hader this offseason? Yes. I think it would be a good, a good idea, idea for them too. Their farm would. system's not good. The farm system isn't good. He consistently blows it, but people are going to pay up for him because like in the regular season, he's been pretty damn good. It's just when it, you know, when you name the most in the playoffs, he sucks. I really think, I really think the Brewers can trade him this offseason. Yeah. Because right. they also have Devin Williams, too, who can slot into the closer role. Yeah. I would agree. Stop touching walls. Yeah. Uh, can you stop playing with the quarter? God damn it. Um, <laughs> it fell out of my head. It's a nickel, by the way. <laughs> um, I, I think the Brewers would be smart to, God, I, they would be smart to trade Josh Hader because, I think as we've seen in like the past few postseasons, one reliever is not going to really do much for you in the postseason. Like if you have like two or three good relievers that you can kind of mix and match and pair together, obviously that's, that's dynamite. We saw the Royals kind of pioneer that like the three headed monster coming out of the bullpen, like, you know, and teams tried to replicate that. And some have been more successful than others. Like you saw the Rockies spend, which the Rockies never spend, they spent like 140 million over three different relievers to try to replicate that. And granted they didn't, but that was a recipe for success. And the Brewers kind of have that with, you know, Hayter and Williams. And uh, I think they had one other guy who had a really good year this year and they've had other good relievers in the past. They had Corey Knable in their what 2018 run. Um so I, I think that's something that they like to do, but you have to realize, like Brian said, uh, how much you can get. Maybe Tyler said it, sorry. Uh, how much you can get for Josh Hader. And the fact that they still have, you know, Yelich who they'll be counting on to rebound and they still have Woodruff and, and Burns and uh, and who's their third one? Garcia? Peralta. Peralta. Why did, I wanted to call him Freddie Garcia. <laughs> Who's Freddie Garcia? Why did I want to say Freddie Garcia? Anyways, Freddie Peralta, like that, that three goes up with almost any three in the leagues. So you still have a good foundation. And if you can get more pieces to play with through a Josh Hader trade and develop another reliever, which they've been very successful at doing, you do that because Josh Hader, while generally a, a, a great reliever, doesn't move the needle all that much 
in a full postseason series, especially with the way he's been performing the postseason, he's done more harm than good. So while he still has value, and as we all know, receivers, receivers, relievers are very volatile. You move on from him. But CK, did I ask you? Uh, I don't think you did, but uh, okay. I, I just want to make sure I didn't skip right. you. But what what's your thoughts on a potential? Uh, we got we started talking about the Brewers because. <laughs> we got a little session. I, thought we were yeah, talking I, about I the just Braves. had to put that out there how much yeah. they sucked. Like, that was just that an was atrocious like, performance. Where, where did this even start? What was it? Six runs in four games, and four of them came in game four. Right. You know, the yeah, clip I, of Bob Costas with like the atrocious uh, performance. Uh, that, that was the Brewers' entire. Yeah. yeah. That was it the really Brewers' was. entire NLDS I, performance. I don't have faith in them anymore. They really made us all like. We, we all thought they were going to wax the Braves. Here we are. At this point, I honestly want the Braves to go to the World Series just because Astros Braves would put Nats Twitter into a meltdown, and that's what I want. I think I uh, go Astros. I did I go Astros. Astros. <laughs> I, did I need the chaos. bet on the Braves last year at plus 1,000, so I would win a good bit of money if the Braves won the World <laughs> Series. So. Right, it would be the worst thing, except for control, which would be very, very bad. That would be uh, that fan base doesn't deserve a World Series. Yeah, like, that fan base doesn't no, oh at all. Trash. I'd rather the Mets win five World Series before the Braves win one. Nah, I'd rather Braves. Yeah, win. I, I hate the Mets. Five is a lot. A lot <laughs> five, five is a lot. <laughs> they would. They I have would an never extreme hatred for the Braves for some reason. I don't. I like. It's like really bad. I think Freddie Freeman just pissed me off for some reason. I can't explain it. He's such a great guy. Freeman of all people. I just don't like his face. Oh, he's I don't stupid even kid. Say, like, he's I, a I great think Ryan guy. Said this like an episode or two ago. I don't even like hate the actual like teams in the division. I just despise the fans. They're so freaking annoying. Like and just annoying to put up with on Twitter. Yeah. Well, I'm sure they're saying the same about you guys. But. Yeah. I mean, we do a little bit of trolling. So. <laughs> just well, Ryan, we do a little bit of trolling. Ryan went to therapy for it, so he doesn't troll anymore. I didn't go to therapy. I went to re- trolling rehab. He's trying to be nice, and I relapsed three times. <laughs> yeah, he's three hours clean. <laughs> so, are we all to get back to the actual NLCS? Are we all on the NL West, regardless of the outcome tonight, or is anyone taking the Braves? I'll take that as we're all on the NFL. <laughs> <Yeah, no. laughs> um, Screw the Braves. I'm so yeah. scared of Jorge Solar leading off. <laughs> Didn't he get COVID? Yeah. Or was he's, it just he's, like he's he got the Rona? Yeah, the Rona. He has the run- oh. he the Rona and they still want to all these back in the leadoff spot, though. Lead off Dansby Swanson still defeated the Brewers. <laughs> he's oh. batting eighth now consistently. I can't believe they're really using him in that capacity again. I've just they, they did uh, they had always doing it for most of this year before us, so they started taking over. So that's what I figured they'd do. Yeah. But I mean they have playoff jock. It's Jocktober, baby. Jocktober. He's <laughs> so clutch. I hate that he's on the Braves. Well, that quote is an all-timer. <laughs> I'm a bad bitch. <laughs> He's a future Nat. Future Nat. Indeed. Everyone's a future Nat. Everyone's a future Nat. Got to bring back the summoning Senate. Um, I had one other thing I was going to mention about them, but I forgot. So since we haven't had you guys on uh, in a little bit, we're going to talk a little bit of offseason. Obviously, we have the whole offseason to talk offseason, but 
just to speculate, call your shots, uh, you know, early on. So that way you can take your victory laps later on. Uh, who do you think or what strategy do you think the Nats employ as far as offseason signings? Do you think they're going to be aggressive and try to get like a building block, maybe like a Correa or a Bryant? Or do you think we kind of see similar to what they did the past couple of years, quite frankly, maybe like um, Eduardo Escobar, Kyle Seeger, and then kind of just like a bunch of uh, medium to low level pieces as opposed to that one big signing? Uh, Tyler, we'll start with you. What are your expectations for the offseason? So my expectation as far as like what I think would follow like the Nats right. model. Call, call is, your shot. This isn't so, like what you would do. This is a call your shot. All right. So I think their biggest signing is going to be Carlos Rodon. I think they're going to give him a multi-year deal for the rotation. It's not necessarily what I want, but I think that's going to be like their big signing, even though they really should be going positional. I, I just don't think they're going to go after any of the qualifying offer guys. Again, you know, Chris Bryant will have a qualifying offer, but I, I really just like don't see them spending that kind of money on a position player until they prove me wrong and do it. But I do think that they will. Um, I, I think I just have this gut feeling that they're going to bring back Kyle Schwarber. Um, you know, he talked well about his time here. You know, the fan base, um, he endeared himself to the fan base pretty quickly. Um, unless if the Red Sox, you know, pay him to come back. I think, you know, the Nats are definitely going to be interested in him. And I, I think we're going to see him back. And then other than that, I think we're going to see a bunch of one-year deals that could be potentially flipped at the deadline. You know, I could see um, an infielder, you know, if you could get Eduardo Escobar maybe on a one-year higher um, yearly deal, they can maybe do that. Um, you know, they can maybe – uh, check out Kyle Seeger, depending on what his market's like. You know, he's kind of older, so maybe you could snag him on a one- or two-year deal. Um, I really think they're, they're going to go rotational just because of, you know, how their MO is in free agency and just because of how bad the pitching was this year. And um, I think my prediction is that Carlos Rodon is going to be their big signing along with the Kyle Schwarber reunion and then a couple other smaller pieces. I can definitely – I wrote – uh, you know, our article basically just about Chris Bryant and Marcus Stroman. And like the more I thought about reasons to uh, sign Marcus Stroman, the more I realized the Nats are definitely going to pay up for more pitching just because right. yeah. that's, that's what they do. So I almost, I didn't like talk myself into Marcus Stroman. Like I, I thought I was going to, I talked myself into believing, yeah, the Nats are just going to pay up for more pitching because that's all they know how to do. And that's seemingly all they're comfortable with doing one note on Kyle Schwarber though. With this kind of like transition uh, period for the Nats, obviously with Max gone, Trey gone, even to go back, Rendon gone and, and whatnot, bringing back Kyle Schorber from a business perspective, not a performance perspective or like a rebuild perspective, but bringing back Kyle Schorber, who is very clearly loved by Nats fans, it, it, it kind of serves that like Gerardo Parra role without being such a freaking liability to the on-field performance and if you have the right. dh it's much more uh feasible as far as your production goes and kind of like your on-field performance so would i l love it no but i it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world obviously depending on the money but that, yeah that's kind of just like yeah. my thoughts with them wanting to bring him back because i agree like it did seem kind of like a good fit it's it's very rare someone talks glowingly about their time in dc so the yeah, fact that he did, it's like, mm -hmm. it's like it is what it is. CK, what do you think? 
So I mostly agree with Tyler. He said Carl Sorrell. I'm thinking Kevin Gossman or Steven Matz, to be honest with you. I feel like Rodon's going to get chased by a bigger fish. So I think something like Especially being like a lefty. Yeah, Strowman's mm. definitely another option. I like him. Like He's a cool guy. It'd be cool to have him, even though he has, he has half of Nat's Twitter blocked or just half of Twitter blocked in general. So it'd be cool but to that'd have That'd be him. really, really funny that Nat's Twitter can't get him to, to unblock them when he's a future Nat or when he's a Nat. That'd be really funny. I can definitely see. I think I'm going to see one of Stroman or Matt's. I think Gosman might be getting a bit more attention too because of the season he had, even though he cooled off a bit. But I definitely see that. I do agree about bringing Schroeder back. The fact they signed Alcides Escobar does not give me a lot of hope, Whether even if he's a bench piece. I just feel like that says a lot about what they're going for this year because they want to bring a guy back like that. They might just be riding the wave this year again. Like like, like Tyler said, they're probably going to do exactly what they did this year, sign some one-year contracts, Seager, Seager, I think Kyle Schrober might get like might get a bit of a longer deal. Like I'd say maybe a three-year deal. I think that's something if they're gonna keep him like that and bring it back a second time, that's where they're going. Sorry that. I can definitely see the likes of I, I can't I can't say anything without something happening. I CK is just like destroying his desk while he talks. <laughs> like I <laughs> I can't even explain it. But Eduardo Escobar, Kyle Seeger. I, I was joking about seeing Kyle Seeger in a Nazi before for like three years in a row. I didn't realize he was 36 years old, but I wouldn't mind seeing him, see what the market is. So I definitely just see smaller pieces and then a built-in fire sale sort of like they had this year. Imagine, I just realized this, imagine they buy, they sign both Seager brothers. Chills. Like they sign Kyle in an effort to lure Corey. Manny Machado to the White Sox part two. And yeah, then exactly. Corey Seager goes to the Yankees. And then we're <laughs> right, stuck and then with we're Kyle Seager like 35-year-olds. <laughs> oh, man. I, yeah. I would have to imagine. I mean, they're brothers. Like, I would have to imagine they are they're like, hey, we're, we're free agents at the same time. Yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, especially with the DH in the National League. Really opens up the options. I yeah. wonder. I kind of – just thought of that. I just wanted to make uh, one more point about Schwarber. Like, I'll I'd, I'd like to have him back, but like, th- that shouldn't be their big signing. Like, that it would be disappointing if that was like their biggest signing next year. Like, you know, he's a power guy. If, you know, realistically, if you could have him slot in like fifth or sixth in your lineup, if you're not going back to the leadoff experiment with him, you know, that's fine. But you know, I, I really just want them to take advantage of the positional market that's just so deep this year. And, like, it's just, like, so frustrating feeling like they're just not going to do it because they just don't sign position players to big money. So I'd like to have Schwarber back on the condition that he's not the biggest signing that they make. I think Ryan put it perfectly. We talked about this last week or the week before. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said if Kyle Schwarber's a luxury, it's, it's a good thing. Exactly. Yeah. If if he's a foundational piece or like a necessary signing, then your team's not going to do much. And exactly. we kind of yeah. saw that this year. Like it, they were entirely reliant upon Kyle Schorber and it just didn't work. But like a team like the Red Sox that can kind of bat him lead off or hell bat him seventh, like that that's extremely valuable to them. And the fact that they didn't need him to be a cornerstone for their franchise or a rebuild or anything like that works really well. So I'm fine bringing him back, but under the right circumstances for, uh, for sure. But the last thing I wanted to talk about, and I'm going to plug CK's article here. Um, for those that didn't see it, check out halfstreethighheat.com first of all, but CK posted an article 
basically proposing a loan system that's very similar to how they do it in European soccer leagues. Um, it's exactly how it sounds for those that don't know. Uh, teams can loan out players to other teams uh, and receive some sort of compensation in return. Sometimes they just do it to get their players who might be buried on the death chart more playing time and more experience. So there's definitely plenty of uh, reason to, to think about or um, desire to have a system like this in place, but CK, where did the uh, idea for this come from? And do you think we, there's nothing like this in uh, North American sports? So do you think this is something that we could see in baseball or any other sport, or is this like just kind of too good to be true because baseball is baseball and it's never going to change? So I don't really know where it came from. I think so there's just one club I'm in at UVA. So we do interviews for members and we just have people discuss topics. There was one kid that came in and tried to tell us that the best way to improve baseball was with a midseason tournament where he had this like really unorthodox idea where he took like the Orioles in 30th place and had them play at the 29th ranked Rangers. And then the winner just keeps climbing the ladder until they play like the Dodgers. And he failed his interview, by the way. But um, I was the only person in that panel who knew anything about baseball. And I told the rest of them, this guy has no idea what he's talking about. And I'm like, okay, we believe you. So it got me thinking about what are some better ways to like improve baseball, maybe get like players into the postseason. And I was Googling around. My friend was trying to get me into Premier League soccer because he would text me constantly. And I looked at the loan system I read about. It, and I'm like, I feel like this can work for baseball. And I thought about it a bit more. Like the article was about a month long thought process, which is why I had like so many things thought out. Because I figured, what if there's a way to get players on the postseason rosters without teams having to trade them away? And I thought the best way possible was to loan them out. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a straight up loan. Like the smaller, like smaller players, like I wrote about Soto as an example, because he's on arbitration currently. If he's owed only about like $60 million, that's still nothing. That's still a lot for arbitration, but it's nothing compared to the $35.8 million average value for Mike Trout. So what if in exchange, instead of just a salary, players can send, they can send prospects back in exchange in order to make this a fair equivalence. So they get their prospects playing time and teams, rebuilding teams get to take a closer look at prospects in case they ever want to trade for them later on. So it's just a cool, th cool idea I thought of, and it probably will never happen just because it's so like, like so like non-traditional. But I thought it was a cool thing to think about. It definitely is, and for you know maybe someone like a, well Trevor Story's on an expiring contract, but maybe like a Whit Merrifield who's been rumored to be traded for years now. Like there's no reason the Royals wouldn't loan him out, and then a team like I don't know the Cardinals who just missed out and could have used a, another infielder something like that there's plenty of incentive on both sides uh there's obviously a lot that goes into it but tyler and ryan what do you think about some sort of like loan system or some uh i guess modification to the current trade system because it seems like this trade deadline was a lot better than we've seen in recent years but honestly if you take out the nats in the equation this trade deadline wasn't the all Cubs. that active. Yeah, and the Cubs. And like, say both those teams decided to just double down instead of, you know, selling. That trade deadline's not active. The only move is really Jose Barrios at that point. Like, could we see some sort of modification to trades or loans or something like that? I would um, like it just because it's different. 
And anytime anything can spice things up with baseball, I'm a fan of. And whenever the traditionalists will be upset, I am also more <laughs> a fan of. Um, so I really like it. I think it'd be pretty cool if MLB would institute something like this. I just don't think they would ever have the gall to actually do it. Right. Tyler, yeah. what do you think? Yeah, it's a cool concept. Um, again, like Ryan said, I don't think MLB would ever implement something like that. But, um, you know, you just have to kind of shake out the financials and everything. But um, I do think it's an interesting concept, especially when, like, if you're trading for a rental, you know, those guys typically, unless they're like a superstar, aren't really going for much anyway for just a rental. So um, I'd definitely like to see something like that happen, but it would never happen knowing MLB. Yeah, probably not. I do think MLB of the four major sports would be the best equipped to do so just because of the extensive minor league system. And they have mm-hmm. plenty of prospects to move and play with and whatnot. I think hockey would probably be second because they of their like minor league affiliates and whatnot. But baseball, I mean, if something like this was to be implemented, they would be maybe not the favorites, but the best suited to do so just because, again, of the amount of prospects and chess pieces they had to play with. So it's definitely an interesting concept and it's kind of wild that we haven't seen anything like that outside of European soccer, but you know, we'll see. Never say never, but that's pretty much all we got for this episode. So as we wrap all of our episodes, we're going to end with our one big thing. Just any final thoughts on the postseason, on the Nats or anything else we did or might not have covered. Uh, this episode, Ty, let's kick it back to you. What do you, uh, what's your one big thing? My one big thing is do not let the Braves win the World Series or I'll never <laughs> forgive MOB baseball. And I'll, I'll have to take my talents to um, the sport known as soccer, supposedly. <laughs> it's not a sport, but yeah. Uh, basically, you know, just going to keep watching some postseason baseball. I'm excited for the Astros Red Sox series. Um, yeah go any team except for the Braves. Yep. CK, what about you? Uh, real quick, Tyler, I was about to suggest you just take your talents to the NBA, but then I remembered our team just crushes our soul every year. So never oh, mind. Yeah. N- never mind, no. never <laughs> mind the Wizards. But uh, my big thing is um, I was joking around this with Ryan, but the moment I was waiting for a single angry uh, boomer DM about my article, and I said the moment I got it, I was transforming my article into a letter and sending it to Manfred's office. <laughs> so my one dream is that one day baseball will be able to have a system where superstars can see the playoffs without necessarily being on a team. And I think it's the league most conducive to it, especially the NFL is probably last because it was the last time anything happened at the NFL trade deadline. Right. But I just really hope something that I come up with eventually gets worked into baseball or anything that makes it more conducive for viewers. Yeah. Oh, wow. They're bringing Brewstar Gratterall in instead of um, Urias. Yeah, I just probably saw come that in the too. third. Hmm. Just interesting strategy. Interesting. Ryan, what about you? Anything? Any final thoughts? I got nothing. Just enjoying playoff baseball. It's fun while it lasts. And then, yeah, just enjoy it because who knows how long. CBA crap will go on for us, so pain. I just saw you try to recruit uh Adam Jones to the 1994 part. Absolutely, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I don't really have anything either. Obviously, playoff baseball has got all my attention right now. Uh, I'm with Tyler, just anti Braves through and through, even if the Astros win, it's better than the Braves winning in my book, so uh. You know, anyone but the Braves for me, 
Uh, sorry to Ryan's preseason bet, but anyone but the Braves. Anyway. All right. That's all we got. Be sure to follow the show at Half Street High Heat and check out halfstreethighheat.com for all the latest articles from CK, from Tyler, and all the rest of our writers. I mean, Brian and I dabble from time to time as well. We're pretty crafty on the keys as well. Uh, so be sure to check out halfstreethighheat.com for all the latest Nats news and honestly MLB news too. It's not just Nats centric. We cover a lot of different topics. So definitely, uh, content to tickle your fancy and uh, all the latest news and ideas going on uh be sure to follow us all on twitter follow tyler at non-roster invite follow ryan at we are all shack and ck at ck naeem 58 and myself at nationals ace appreciate you listening and until next time let's go anyone but the braves there's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team's mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls so that the commentator who has the calls has passed the wall to see you later. Dawn, well, you can see they're running scared. Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air. Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look. Cause we're putting curly W's in every book. Let's go. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.